Hi, tell us your name and the years you spent at Hofstra Radio. My name is Lori Gale, and I was there from 1985 to 1988. And uh, talk a little bit about some of the titles and positions that you held at Hofstra Radio. Um, Let's see. So I was on the air, you know, like most people who worked at the station. And um, I also became music director at some point. Yeah, I, I know you were big with the music department there. I think about some of the folks around at that time when you were there, like uh, Jeff Raspi and, and Tim McDonald oh, yeah. and some of the others who were there at the time. What made you, I mean, obviously, you know, I know you fairly well, so I know your love of music and that's continued into your career. But uh, was that, I mean, how, at what part of your life and your age did the love of music start? And was that why you got involved with the radio station? It is why I got involved. I definitely wanted a career in radio. You know, when I was younger, I was a music fan since, you know, pretty much forever. And I really got into the stuff that college radio was playing and the few commercial alternative stations that were around at the time. And because I was so into it, it definitely pushed me in that direction. It seemed to me that I just, I was very passionate about it, and I wanted to, especially at the time, too, because radio was the, really the only means of being exposed to new music, Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. it was something that really spoke to me. I spoke to Stu Rushfield recently, and we talked a little bit about how, you know, at least within the sports department, once we got involved in that group and worked with a group of people who were within the sports department, you know, we kind of both agreed that we found our niche at the radio station and found a place that was really comfortable for us to to be who we wanted to be, to show our love of sports and find others who felt the same way about it. Is that how you felt when you wound up getting involved with the music department and who were some of those people who, who you met down there that, you know, really helped to influence you in, in maybe in your musical taste, but also in your desire to keep on, you know, trying to, to get into radio. Uh, certainly Walter Ennis and Barbara Lyons, now Barbara Ennis, um, they were, I believe a year ahead of me. And so when I started, they were really warm and friendly and and helpful and that was really important to me especially because Hofstra does have a lot of commuters and I wasn't one you know coming from Massachusetts and uh it you know when you're going away to college you know anybody who's friendly to you it's a big deal so uh they were really great in sort of um I had already done some work at uh, Salem State in Salem, Massachusetts. I'd already done a little bit of on-air work there. So, you know, I knew a thing or two. So that, of course, was helpful, kind of an aside. But but Barbara and Walter really brought me into the radio station and made me feel like I was part of it. You know, you hit a interesting point about um, Hofstra Radio and about Hofstra University, at least at the time that you and I were there, there are plenty of students who lived on campus, but there were also uh, a lot of other students who who, who um, commuted in like myself. But 
you know, I don't know if I ever really thought of it that much when I was going there because I didn't live on campus. But I have to imagine you coming from Massachusetts, living on Long Island for college, having people and a place like the radio station must have it must have been helpful in whatever level of homesickness that you may have had. Did, did you feel like Barbara Walter, the radio station, and other people down there? Do you feel like that was your you know adopted family for your time at college? Uh, yeah, I would say so. Yes, it's definitely something I don't think I necessarily thought of at the time. Um, going back to what you said about commuters, I wasn't you know it wasn't like I was there, you know, saying to myself, oh, you know, uh, the amount of people who commute versus who live here and all of that. I mean, that didn't matter. I mean, we had plenty of people who lived on campus and, uh, but yes, they did. I really, yes, they really, you know, and then other people I met too, um, you, Jeff Raspi, Tim McDonald's, Rushfield, uh, you know, it, it really was an immediate, uh, level of comfort now you mentioned about wanting to get into radio was that the first was that the reason why you got involved with the station the main reason why you got involved and talk a little bit about the first time that you showed up at the radio station and what some of your impressions were when you got down there you started to meet people and you know what was your feeling the first day that you were around uh wrhu at the time Well, anybody who remembers their first day, bravo, because I certainly don't. (laughs) But, um, you know, it felt, you know, it just, it felt a lot like people who were certainly, uh, well, with the exception of the sports guys, who were into the same music that I was. And, you know, at the time with, like we were saying, radio was being, radio was really, one of the very few outlets to to be exposed to new music. So when you were an alternative music fan back then, it was, you know, it was a lifestyle, of course, and it was just such a much smaller community of people in general that really lived it and went to shows and, you know, couldn't wait for new releases from you know, their favorite artists and, and all of that. It was because you had to make effort, you know. Um, these days you can, you know, listen to music anytime, anywhere. But it was the culture was so different. So finding people who were I- into, you know, all of those bands at the time, it was it was really exciting. Let's talk about the um, the times that you had your announcing and engineering classes. Can you remember what those were like starting to, you know, going through the process of getting cleared as an announcer and as an engineer was there and was one harder than the other for you? And do you have anything specifically that you remember about taking those uh, taking those classes where, you know, it was other students who, who were teaching it and uh, looking to get you passed for that? Right. I don't remember too much, <laughs> um, but I do remember it was, you know, the the engineering wasn't too hard because, of course, back then it was your old school consoles and, you know, turning on the microphone and playing music was a very easy thing to do. So that um, I don't remember too much of, except for it wasn't 
necessarily challenging. Announcing was a different story because I was always very nervous and I didn't, you know, I never thought of myself as much of an announcer. Um, you know, I worked, I worked in commercial radio for 13 years after I graduated, which was very exciting, but I really found, um, I guess my calling, if you will, um, as, uh, being music director uh, here in Boston at a station called WFNX. And that was more my niche than announcing was. Now, do you recall your first time that you, you did a show on your own? And, I, and you know, I'm wondering if that was even airwave at the time, if that was your first show, or did you have to work? A lot of times, you know, we had to work other shows. We had to do classics in the morning or work on a jazz show or maybe work with a, a host on the weekends. But do you remember the first time that you were behind the board and what that feeling was like for you? At And you, you mentioned having other experience, but what was it like the first time when you were behind the, behind the mic at WRHU? It was... You know, it was exciting. I did start, like you're saying, I did start um, as an engineer, uh, like we all did at the time. And I do, you know, remember, oh, I just loved it all. You know, it was just so much fun because you had someone else doing the announcing. So there was at least one other person there, but usually more. And there was a, such a camaraderie and such a, you know, we were the redheaded stepchild of the communications department and there we are in the basement and everybody's, you know, wanted to get into TV, but we didn't. Yeah. And um, yeah. And so you really just everything about it because we all spent so much time there too. Because, uh, you know, we took so much pride in what we were doing and there was, a lot of work to be done so being there in any capacity was was great now i want to touch a little bit more on airwave before we get to some other topics because we we've talked about that a little bit we've talked about your music experience and you mentioned about the time period you know we're talking mid 80s 85 86 and and maybe even part of eighty seven, but there certainly was a time in music where where new wave was really hitting hard and and starting to branch out a little bit and becoming a lot more uh, maybe pop oriented. But you know, it also was a way a way of life, a way of uh, as you mentioned, it was it was a lifestyle, and it was certainly pretty pretty apparent at the radio station. But did that make it a tighter knit community of the people who did airwave? And, you know, did you wind up spending more time with those folks on a on a daily basis? Not just talking about music, but also just hanging out because it was a comfortable feeling that you all felt from from each other having that commonality. Yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, I got to know them, people who worked on airwaves so, so well, because, of course, we were all going to shows together and, um, you know, there plenty of artists came through Long Island because of WLIR, you know, they would, a lot of them would make a stop um, in Long Island in addition to Manhattan. But, oh, yeah, we were getting on the train all the time and going into the city and, uh, you know, sing every single band. Of course, that was, it was one of the reasons I wanted, to be honest, to go to college in New York because... I knew it would give me uh, certain opportunities. And one of them was knowing that, you know, every single band 
who's touring in the U.S., whether they're from there or not, is going to do a date in New York. Now, just to continue on a little bit more with with that line, you talked about the fact that New York was certainly a, a big hub of what you know where it all started from, really, with a lot of the uh, a lot of the punk scene in the late seventies, early eighties. You know, the places in New York City that everyone's familiar with, and then it really, you know, we saw a lot of uh, bands who became really big start out there. And I guess my thought is that you probably saw some bands at that time while you were at Hofstra uh, going into the city and you saw some bands that maybe later on wound up being a big deal. What was that experience like? And did you see, did you see some bands during that time period that you said, yeah, you know what, this, this, this is really special what we're listening to. And it wound up being somebody pretty big who, who, you know, who wound up being very, uh, very well known in the music industry. You know, I mean, the first band I can think of is the Ramones, but by then, uh, you know, they had really, uh, of course, carved out a name for themselves. Uh, but I did see them on more than one occasion in small clubs. So that was, uh, that was amazing. Trying to think of other bands that, Tony, it's tough. And I believe <laughs> me, I'm so mad at myself that I didn't, uh, save all my ticket stubs. I, you know, have friends who were so good about that and, you know, and hanging on to those memories that way. But I, yeah, I, I didn't. And so I forget so much. I mean, you know, it was really amazing to see bands like the fall come through mm -hmm. New York Pogues. Uh, you know, that was a really big deal. And, you know, to capture the all of the excitement that was going on at that time and being able to see, you know, like I was just saying, like so many bands that came through. And I'm sure I saw so many that, you know, broke up, never toured again, got dropped from their record label, whatever right. the case may be. Butthole Surfers, I remember seeing them. Yeah, it's funny. I look back, you know, I wasn't, obviously wasn't deeply into it the way you were and, and the way Butch was and Tim, but I, I don't think I was, it's funny. I, I always think back about that time period and I always think, well, I don't think I was really ready for that music at the time. And I've gone back now and now, it, it, you know, it's it's really interesting. I I list because I have found other bands along the way in later years. Now I go back and listen to Husker Du, and I'm like, oh, okay, now I know where the Foo Fighters came from. You know, and yeah. and I and I've experienced some of these bands that I kind of you know didn't know about, kind knew the names but really didn't know what they did. And I've grown an appreciation for it. And and it's interesting to to talk to someone like you who saw it back then, who knew that these were special groups. And I guess the question I, as somebody who really didn't appreciate it back in the eighties, what was it about that music and that period that really struck hard for you? And that, you know, sent a message that hit home for you and, and grew to love this right away. Oh boy. Uh, that is an interesting question. You know, I think like the bottom line for me is I'm just a sucker for a good hook and there's so much of that out there and regardless of genre. So I think one of the big things for me was, you know, in Boston, we have uh, where I'm from, we have so many great college uh, radio stations. Right. 
and uh, and we had a commercial one, um, WFNX, where, which I worked at years later, mm-hmm. but they went on the air, I think, in 82. So how I discovered them, I don't remember, but I remember thinking, wow, this music is great. So, you know, hearing The Clash on commercial radio, that's, you know, that was such a big deal at the time. Though I'll tell you, um, I never saw The Clash, wish I did, uh, but I, I did see... Paul Simonon in a Burger King once. So that, you know, so like 20 year old me was like, oh my God, it's Paul Simonon. So, um, but yeah, you know, I'm embarrassed to say, I don't really remember how like I sort of stumbled across it, but I think it was just whatever I was hearing, I was really liking, you know, and, and alternative back then too was kind of, it was broad so it was the ramones it was you know punk bands like the dead kennedys and yeah. you know but also like you were saying about the new wave stuff it's you know the new wave stuff was so melodic and so production at the time and uh you know just what bands were doing then of course so many of them were english bands and um or bands from the uk but uh yeah i um i really that's a, that's a hard question to answer it but, just hit with you i guess right uh, it, just, it just seems like for a lot of people in, in that time period like yourself it's just something that spoke to you it may not be you know something you could put a finger on and, and, and you mentioned some bands that i'm sure really hit home for you and it's funny the clash is one that i, I again i wish i had seen live at some point I always tell people, you know, if you're asking me to name my top three albums, London Calling is absolutely in there. There's no question about it. And, you know, it's one of those bands that I think, you know, there were a few of them during that time period that I think just really hit home for people. And it really, you know, really got them to love the music and and the genre at that time. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, yeah, it was, um, you know, but anybody lucky enough to, uh, you know, had went around the whole radio dial and, you know, had access to a college station and, you know, for whatever reason, you know, stuck it out, you know, they, they were then would, um, and decided that they really liked it. It really opened up the world for so many of us. Right. Exactly. Get back to the station a little bit now. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit more. You you mentioned Walter and you mentioned Barbara and, and, uh, as being, you know, tremendous influencers on your time there. But let's talk about, you know, some of the folks that you that you know you knew from back then that were really helpful when you were uh, first starting out in your early days at WRHU. Were there other students? Were there, um, you know, teachers, um, other folks there at the college that were really helpful for you in your early days at Hofstra? Yes, certainly Barbara and Walter, like I was saying, Um, you know, as far as like faculty goes, you know, uh, I mean, we had Jeff Krause as the general manager, had tons of radio experience. So, so that was nice to have somebody right there that we could run things by and get his opinion on or just, you know, just to listen to stories, you know. Yeah, I think I think a lot of folks gained a, a lot of uh, useful information. I, I think along the way from Jeff, whether they, 
learned it at the time that Jeff gave it, or maybe years later. I think that's kind of the, the case maybe for a lot of us. We were like, oh, okay, now I understand where some of his, his advice about you know preparedness and humility and some of these other things that I think I learned from him uh, took me a while to learn, but uh, certainly, uh, you know, it, it's uh, to get that kind of wisdom from somebody like him. As you mentioned, with the experience he had in broadcasting, you know, that was, uh, you know, that was part of the education that you got, not just having him in a class, but, you know, having him at the radio station just to talk to if you needed to. Yeah. And because it's just such a hands learning, uh, was such a hands-on thing that, yeah, uh, having someone there at the radio station who seemed to be there all the time, um, made it, you know, like a whole other full on learning experience, now, let me ask you about, again, back to your time at the station that you've been there for a little bit of time. Was there a point where you started to feel comfortable at the radio station? Can you kind of maybe not know an exact point, but like say, hey, there was a certain time, maybe a month or two in, maybe I'd done a few shows where it's like, okay, I'm comfortable in my skin down here doing the shows, hanging out with people. You know, I feel like this is, you know, I could be in my dorm room or I could be down here. It's uh Both places are pretty comfortable for me. I'd say pretty immediately because I felt so welcomed into the community. So whether it was people already there or people um, who were just getting uh, up and running, you know, like I started, I believe, around the same time Stu Rushfield did. Tim McDonald, you know, so we were all kind of learning together. So it wasn't like, I don't know, there was no sort of uh, initiation or anything like that. Um, I think, too, when you take that leap and go to college, you just assume that you're going to be friends with most people you come in contact with. And that uh, I think that was a big part of it, too. Now you've had time to to look back on on that time period. It's certainly it's been a while. We've had we've all had plenty of years to think about <laughs> to think about that time. <laughs> but did you have any inkling about what Hofstra Radio was going to mean to you in those days? And you know, and then compare it to you know what what you think about now when you think about Hofstra Radio. You know, because I think probably most of us were pretty clueless at the beginning. You know, this was a stepping stone to getting to, you know, a, a career. And this is college and the radio station, and it's all part of the game plan. But I think eventually, you know, we have to realize over time, you know, we, we have more of a thought process of what that time at Hofstra Radio was. Did you feel like you understood what it meant back then? And, and if not, you know... Uh, now, where do you see that experience at WRHU being part of your overall career here and, and its importance really to you? Um, yeah, it's it definitely was extremely important for my career. And being that I learned so much, but I also learned a lot about the music industry. And that was really important to me, too. So when you're doing college radio, the, you know, the record labels and promoters, you know, they have people who uh, work specifically with college programmers. So that's where I got to know people and um, 
would sometimes meet up with them at shows. And, you know, so you really got the lay of the land when it came to, uh, you know, what we'd call getting worked on records, you know, the record companies or promoters calling and saying, you know, hey, what do you think of such and such, um, you know, and maybe giving some stats or whatever they can to encourage you to play it. So that was just, you know, invaluable because how else are you going to get that experience unless you're in that environment? So that was extremely important to me and made the transition to commercial radio so easy. Well, uh, let me, I want to try and do something a little different here. I want to talk to you just about some specific people at the radio station and what they meant to you. And we'll, we'll save Barbara and Walter to the end because I really, you know, obviously to, I think I knew this and then everyone else at the time knew just how important those two were to you. We'll get to them in a minute, but let's talk about three other people that we've mentioned here in Tim McDonald, Jeff Raspi, and Stu Rushfield. Let's first talk about Tim and Tim. Tim was somebody who was who I you know I I loved him. He was a, just a, a good good person overall, and uh, you know he sort of crossed a couple of different uh, uh, groups of people at, at WRHU. Talk about Tim McDonald. What you remember of Tim, and you know what was your uh, your relationship at the radio station with Tim? Uh, we were, I believe, in the same. Um uh, start at the same time. So, you know, when I talk about Barbara and Walter, you know, he's actually in that group too, where we were all so passionate about music and, you know, had to listen to everything all at once and, you know, going to shows. And, but as far as working with him, he was great. Uh, he was always such a pro and he really, uh, you know, did a deep dive into everything to do with the radio station and airwave. And um, it was like we took that journey together. Now let's uh, take a look at, at uh, Jeff Butch Raspi. We all called him Butch down there. And um, Jeff and Tim were, were, were good friends as well. And, and uh, you know, he's a lot of similarities, I would think, when you're talking about uh, Tim, you you probably would wind up saying a lot of the same stuff about Jeff. Talk talk to us about uh, about Jeff Raspy. Yeah, I really would say the same exact thing. Um, you know, really, the only difference was uh, I saw Jeff uh, later um, at my last job. Uh, we would run into each other at um, the AAA convention or the non-com non convention is what it's called and uh that's kind of crazy you know so much later in life you know we would just say to people hey we went to college together you know that's how we know each other and um that makes it very cool and and just fun because it just uh you know every time i would see him something would come up you know and uh he you know, he's such a crazy music fan that, you know, he's still doing and he's, he's still in radio all of these years later. Right. Yeah. I don't know if I've known too many people who, uh, who, who show a love for, uh, for music and for radio the way, the way Butch does for sure. 
Um, let's talk a little bit about Stu Rushfield. I just got a chance to see him uh, about a week and a half ago or so from when we taped this. Again, Stu, uh, really known to be a, a sports guy, but, uh, you know, again, uh, I think had no problems making friends with anyone at the radio station. Talk to me about, you know, your uh, your friendship with Stu and, and uh, what that meant to you. Well, he's certainly one of my besties. Uh, I love him to pieces. I, you know, one of those friends where, you know, we can go months and months without talking and then um, pick right back up. And it's not weird, you know. And uh, I think, you know, our relationship at the time was so much fun and such a goof because, you know, I thought of myself as this really cool punk rock chick with the hair, with the clothes, the whole thing. And, um, you know, that was so the opposite of him. So like every band name was novelty to him, you know? So, uh, that kind of laid the foundation of our friendship and, um, I saw him, I think, not this past summer, but uh, 22, and um, maybe since then. But, uh, you know, every once in a while, when we do catch up, you know, it's uh, a marathon conversation, including he was driving from New York uh, back to his home, and uh, it was late night driving, so and he had like a couple of hours to go. So he picks up the phone and calls, and I'm like, listen, I just want to go to bed. And he'd be like, you know, I just went to this ice cream place and let me list off all the flavors for you. (laughs) It was like his sense of humor is so just he is a funny guy. And, um, you know, I and I always like it when people call me out on when I do something stupid because um, it takes a certain finesse to do that and have the person not be mad at you. But he called me out on stupid things I do all the time. So. Um, and we pass notes in class and, you know, just, um, really fun, dumb stuff. And again, we'll, we'll, we'll finish up here talking about, um, Barbara and Walter Ennis, as you mentioned, Barbara Lyons back at the time and, and Barbara and Walter were, you know, uh, they were inseparable at that time. It's not a shock at all that they wound up getting married and, and, uh, you know, living happily ever after and. Um, but it, it seemed as a, as a person from a distance knowing you guys, but not, you know, not spending a lot of time with, with, uh, with you necessarily, or with Barbara and Walter, just knowing you guys and talking to you, it just, it was obvious that, that they had a special relationship with you. And it seemed like, you know, maybe that's where, that's where their initial, um, parenting instincts came in because it seemed like they were, they were, um, very loving and caring and protective of you specifically. And I think it's because they saw so much, so much, uh, you know, of a good person in you. And, uh, they felt, they felt like it was, you know, and and they were two people who were, um, you know, held positions at the time at, at the radio station. So they were, you know, they were important, important student, uh, uh, managers there at the station. And it, it seemed like the, you know, like I said, it seemed like they were very, uh, very much um, caring about you and wanting you to 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 be successful at the station and do what you love doing. Talk about that relationship and and uh, 
and each one of them, you know, what, what each one of them brought to the table for you that was, that was so important and made your friendship with them such a, uh, such a great thing that you had at RHU? Well, they certainly uh, took me under their wing, uh, like from day one. And I wasn't even sure why, to be honest. I just thought, oh, this is so great. You know, they're, they're fun. They're funny. Uh, they like to go and see bands. We're all into the same music. It was very, uh, you know, I, I, I don't really know why, except for we just really hit it off. So that was, you know, they were mentors to me and to other people too. When, you know, Darren Smith, who's over at Sirius XM, he got an award when we had that um, WREQ, uh, I guess, reunion about 12 or so years ago. And uh, Darren won an award there and he uh, thanked Barbara. And I thought that was so cool, you know, um, because people don't always necessarily, uh, you know, just to mention her, I thought was so uh, classy and cool. But yeah, they, um, you know, they were kind of a yin and yang, you know, um, Barbara was the more serious one, Walter, you know, full on goofy and funny and silly and, you know, just pranks and, and just funny, dumb things that I was all about. And, um, you know, Barbara had a great sense of humor too, uh, of course, or they wouldn't be together, I would assume, but they, but she really, uh, showed me the ropes and because I worked so closely with her, you know, so much of what I learned and, uh, how I, you know, went about doing things at the station, um, came from her. Now you mentioned a bunch of people, you mentioned Darren Smith and, and, and I, apologize for not mentioning Darren sooner because again he was he was certainly that part of that group that was very much part of where uh the music uh was going the the current music at the time was going at WRHU and and to me that that was just one big family right uh Barbara and Walter yourself Darren Tim Butch um and so I, I think Joanne C might have, you know, was part of that group yeah. as well because she did some of the, the airwave shows too. And it just, again, it, it was so important at the time, I, I think, uh, for a lot of us to find that group of people at the radio station. And to me, that was what was so great about radio and in, in, in a college radio. It wasn't just about music. There were a group of people who, you know, who were avid sports fans and, and wanted to be a sports announcer. There were people who loved doing news and did news all the time. There were so many different right. types of music that you can be involved in. And I think to me, and, and, and I want to get your opinion on this, to me, that's what made and hopefully still makes college radio so important and useful is that it helps find all these different kids who are part of a bigger radio station, they're still able to find their group and their niche where they can shine. Yeah. You know, back then too, I think it just, the station created so many opportunities for so many people because 
if you wanted to be on the air, you could be on the air. And it's not necessarily like that at all colleges. So, you know, to get that really hands-on experience, you have to, you know, be on the air or you have to be producing a show, whatever the case may be. It's, you know, it's just such a hands-on industry that having that opportunity, and it's funny you asked about that because um, I transferred to Hofstra after my first year of college, and that is why I left that college was because, uh, you know, the the campus station was just so... um, just stuck up and all this programming that I'm thinking, who was listening to this? And (laughs) they didn't, you know, there wasn't much music that I remember. And there certainly wasn't an opportunity to be on the air. And um, I don't know, I don't know why I ended up going there. But, you know, I think you just, you know, I think I assumed at the time that it would be, like an RHU experience where, you know, that my only other experience prior to my first year of college was um, uh, Salem State's radio station. So I assumed they would all be like that. And it wasn't. And it was terrible. So walking into RHU was especially meaningful to me because of that. Well, listen, Laurie, it's uh, it's been great catching up with you. Uh, I know we've spoken a few times over the last year or so, but um i always love doing this just because we get a chance to walk down memory lane a little bit and my memories of you you know if if anyone ever says oh have you heard from laurie uh yeah you know i've talked to her recently and and people say the same thing that i say she was such a sweet girl and so nice to everybody and seemed to really love what she was doing there and and i i think that's a pretty honest characterization i assume you do too thanks no appreciate that it's always nice to hear